Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode number 58, recorded on August 16th, 2023. If you follow big construction and infrastructure projects, you may already know the name Parsons. If you don't, stick around because you won't believe the kinds of things this company is involved with, including something absolutely massive in the Saudi Arabian desert. First, though, let's get caught up in tech news with Grant. The the first thing I wanted to talk about is something you may not know the name of, and so I'm going to say it, and then you can tell me if you know it. It's called a tilted rotor equipped aerial robot with autonomous flight assembly and disassembly. It's called a, a name. It has a name. It's called Trady. And um, it's the um, a congestion of, think of all these mini, um, well, any size you want, um, drone robots that can do things. But they have the ability to lock into each other through magnetic and connection devices so they can be one thing, one size, depending on the task. Um, so, and, and obviously you can imagine, uh, you come to, they're flying and they've got to go through uh, a mountain or they got to go through a cave and they can't fit. So they disassemble. Then they come back out and they reassemble. And so they can be used for any type of thing and they can both be autonomous, which means they will know and learn what to do or controlled via PC. So they're ultra modular flying robots that can be autonomous. And they would actually look like, if we were to stand back and watch them, it would be like a, like a swarm of birds or bees or something, right? Yeah, and, and it's and or bigger though. But and you're right. And now think of this: um, the inspiration came from the aerial refueling system for jet fighters, the funnel shaped unit that locks in. Right. That's how they made these lock together. And um, so you can imagine the use of these systems from everything um, from rescue. To well, I don't want to bring it up. <laughs> military, mm-hmm. we always got to bring up military. Um, to life safety, to uh, building things. Um, can you imagine this group robots builds a building and they take heavier stuff up together, the smaller little things? Um, I, this is all in my head. This is not what it's saying. I'm just saying that this this could do so many things. I looked at um, I looked at bot. Um, uh, this type of things that five, 10 years ago in, in when I went to Bristol, England, and we, you know, we called it swarming where, you know, all these little mini robots learn to work together. I think this is just an advanced model of swarming. It does sound like it. I've read a couple of novels, sci-fi novels on this. And of course the military is involved and bad guys are involved, but it does look like a really, it, it does seem really cool. I think it does, um, and I and I think that um, there's something there. I mean, I just know there is. Um, so, I mean, for me, it, it's going to be a big deal. And the um, just that I see, well, this is one of the few ones that really do a lot of things. So, for me, it, it is a big deal. And, and what so are they? It'll be interesting to see where they go with it. And what are they called again? Trades. Trades. Okay. Watch for that. Uh, yeah. 
Here's one that will interest you. Now, here's what I'm going to do with this, Alan. I'm going to say this is a good idea, but it won't last. Okay? So like always in China first, they created the Digital Age Cemetery. The Digital Age? Okay, I have no idea what you're talking about. Good. In Beijing, because highways and value of land is so expensive, you can now have a digital cemetery where you walk in and you look at a screen, and then behind that screen is the ashes, right? But also it's now interaction with pictures of your your loved one and you talk to it and so on. So this would be kind of like a mausoleum where you go and through a keyboard or other interface device, call up your loved one? Yeah, it's not going to be, it's just a digital cemetery, so it's so nothing to it. You know, you could, you, could, you could put hundreds of plots in this digital set, or if not thousands, and then you could have multi-generations in the same plot. Think of it. You're already putting inside your ashes. So you could go there and visit your whole family. So we're, okay, so you would view them remotely, or would they be in this building? No, I like what you just said. Just listen to me. No, you would go to the cemetery. The cemetery is like you walk down a hall and there's screens everywhere. And you go and look at yours. You're, you're screen 47. And oh, I see. You were, you're there. Your loved ones are there. And anyone else that dies could be there as a family or friends, or it could just be you. And then all you do is you, you'd view loving pictures. It'll have a whole thing on you, which I kind of think is kind of cool. Um, but let me tell you why I think it's, it's short-lived. You said something, right? You said, do you have to go there? Why wouldn't we go the next level, which I think we will do? Your loved ones will be, will be in the metaverse or in your house. You simply turn on something, it'll flash your mom. You can talk to her. Because as you know, we talked six months ago about now you can have AI develop and learn all about your past and be any one of you. It can be Paul McCartney you want to talk to. And so my viewpoint, this is a great idea. Um, I think that it makes total sense. Look at all the land that is used to, to bury people, you know, those big plots and even some are mausoleums. Um, and, and, but, but it's interactive, which I think is very cool. But I see me sitting at home. Like I see me staying home and saying, um, hi, Dad. Um, just like we saw in, you know, the, the, the recent um, movies, you know, where the guys had um, their own, Images pop up, girls that they uh, talk to as, as, as friends, and they didn't have a girlfriend, and they just talked to them, and the images popped up, and uh, off you went. And I believe it makes total sense. I, I can see this working in the sense that you would have like a big data center, and in that data center, you would have all these people interred, and you would simply access your loved ones via online. And they would be in this, this central data center somewhere in the world. It really, wouldn't really matter. Do you need that? I mean, yeah, yeah. You need a, you need a cloud. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then, you, then you, you could do two things. You could project it as an image or you could put it on a screen. When you really think of it, um, you could put it on both. Well, you, you could. I know that uh, there are programs now where you can get Alexa to talk in your grandmother's voice, for example. So we're, 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 we're heading towards that. That is kind of the same thing. Right. But that's that what you're, what, 
But what you're talking about is something something like that, but on super steroids. Yeah, what's the movie? It was just out. And a different actor for the second one. And he went after and hunted people, but his his girlfriend was a bot. And I just can't think of the movie. And I'm looking and thinking, wow, that's what we're doing right now. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, this one here is a reality. We know it can be done. We read every day about AI. Um, so we know it's going to happen. Um, so I, I'm not really shocked about it. Um, and it's probably going to be out in the next 10 years, the way I suggest it, not the way they're doing it. I would be shocked if it wasn't out in five years. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, that's my job to, to, to try to project where I think it's going to go. And um, that's where I think it's going to go. All right. One more story. What do you got? Um, look, I mean, I hate to go back to it all the time, but I want to. I want to go back to climate change. And I know I'm going to receive a bunch of emails on this one. So I, I want to tell you something. First of all, Alan, I 100% believe in climate change. So I want you to know that. But I believe it's been going on for millions of years. People are no people. Um, if climate change happened a thousand years ago, and it doesn't matter when, whether it was the, when the world froze, by the way, that was climate change. When the world froze over, that was climate change. No, no one's arguing it. The climate changed, and it was atmospheric, okay? Mm-hmm. And this has happened over and over, by the way. Um, and there's history that tells you this. It's not, it's not a big argument. Um, now will, let's wait, pretend bef- before you go any further, uh, I yeah. agree with you. In fact, I'm going to redirect you to a book called the earth transformed by Peter. Thank you. Fr- Peter Frankopan, the earth. Tra- I'm very interested in this, by the way, the earth transformed an untold history. And he goes back billions of years to the present. There you go. And he talks about okay. climate change and its effect on the planet, on yes. geology, yeah. on flora, fauna. And humans, and vice versa. So it's, and you know what? Purely science. It, it is, is pure like, science. Okay? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and and so we can't argue it, guys. It's it's pure science. We're not using any algorithms to predict anything. And so let's talk today. Let's talk today. Um, there are two reasons there is so much going on with fires and flooding. One is we have this thing called media. Um, not that they're. I don't care if they're overdoing it or not. We didn't have it then. 25 years ago. So we see everything now. So we see so much at once. The news blows our mind. No one's didn't said this happened before. But the second one is this. If the fires that had started, say, in Yellowknife or Maui in, in Hawaii, if they started 150 years ago, they would burn the whole, the, all of Maui, the whole island. Why? Because we had nothing to stop it. It's not because uh, it was it was like, we caused it. It's because these days, the climate change is going to happen, whether we like it or not, and it's not related to cars or any of that. It, does that contribute to pollution? Absolutely. But the atmosphere's conditions are going to change whether we like it or not. Now, we can do two things. We can go around and try to do all these things, or we and, and we should, but why aren't we saying, okay, how do we build a house that, that can handle 200 degrees? How can we build a house that can handle a hurricane? Because the way we fight them now, that's why it doesn't change. We have the ability through technology and innovation to change the outcome of a fire. 
to change the outcome of a flood where not even 150 years ago we didn't, um, Alan. So I agree, but just to understand one thing, I'm just hoping that Earth allows us humans to stay. Well, you do make a great point there because <laughs> if we go back through the centuries and the millennia and yeah. the epochs, um, you know, you can have, for example, a single volcanic eruption. And there have been a number. There was one in the mid-1810s. There was the Santorini explosion in yeah. about 1650 BC. There was, um, oh, there's been a lot. And, and sure there the, the, the world, climate's always changing. And some of the climate change yeah. is driven largely by the planet itself. Sure. Whether, of course, the universe. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, climate change is real. We probably contribute to it in, in our own way. But the planet itself has been evolving climate-wise for billions of years. What we need to it's, do. It's resilient, Alan. Absolutely. It's, it's a very resilient planet. You know, we're just viruses on the planet as far as. Yes, is concerned. we're energy, energy sitting on the planet. So what we... And it can change that energy if it wants to. Oh, it can. I mean, if we have the Yellowstone calderas blow up or if we have, uh, what else could possibly happen? Maybe, you know, a Krakatoa-type volcanic eruption in the in the end in, in Indonesia, something like... I mean, that's going to change the weather for, for years. And if the weather changes... Absolutely. You know, that leads to... It wasn't caused by us. That leads um, to crop failure, that leads to uh, migration, disasters. all kinds of stuff. So what now? Hold on. But then, when you have those crop failures, there's these people called humans that bounce back. Where a million years ago, bye bye. Th this is true. It's over. This is true. We do have the ability <laughs> to combat all sorts of climate change. We can clean up our own. Yes, that's my point. We can clean up. I, our I get the problem about affecting it, but how about developing stuff in case it happens? Well, we can clean up our own mess. That's one thing. But number yes. two, yes. you know. We have no control over a, a giant volcanic eruption that could change no. climate around them. We have just been really intensely lucky. No, Alan, we have no control over temperature change. Do you really believe that because we're smoking the, the air that the temperature increasing in temperature? If you read the book, you just said, and I haven't, it's going to say that the, the, the earth will heat up and cool down when it feels like. There's a lot of things beyond our control. For example, solar output. Yeah. Yeah, and I, will, I listen. I believe in climate change, and that we had to be ready for it. And I believe we're building these smart cities. There should be something in there that says not how do you not we have to worry about dispensing things in the atmosphere. I get that. But the bigger one is what if something happens? Are we going to say we're all dead because of climate change? Or are we going to say we stopped it? We built these buildings that can we can live underground. We can live it. We can fly to the moon. We can do things because we can fight back against the planet because we're smart. Okay. That's my point. That's all my point. Let me, let me summarize. Climate's okay. always changing. It's always been changing. We have yep. not done the planet any favors. We need to clean up our own mess, but we also need to be prepared for what the planet and the universe throws at us, which is beyond our control. And that, I'm with that's that. where technology can come into effect. Um, I, I'm very worried about coronal mass ejections, which are uh, solar storms that send particles of high energy to the planet. And if we are hit by something, there was something in 1859 called the Carrington event that caused telegraph wires to melt. And that was the result of a large solar storm. If we have something like that today with 
you know, our connectivity. We have just been very, very lucky in the last 150 years that nothing terrible has happened. But prior to that 150 years, there's been all kinds of natural disasters that have- but, but Alan, have you seen one building advertised it can handle a solar storm? Nope. Of course no. not. Then that's the, okay. that's the sort of- No, let's just blame everything on climate change and not worry about, it's a reality. And even though we hate it, don't like what people are doing, how do we defend against it? That's all yeah. I think. We're talking about natural climate change here. What the planet, yeah. what the planet in space throws at us. Yes, I, I, I totally yeah. agree. I mean, you know, the last thing you know, you, we talk to some some power utilities, and one of the things that they're talking about is hardening the grid against solar storms and perhaps you know, uh, and and other things. Because if the electricity goes, to, if we have one of these big solar storms, we're we're cooked, like quite literally. I know, because we we're just going to stop driving cars, and maybe a solar storm won't happen. No, you got to do both. <laughs> I agree. Okay, good. I'm glad we got that completely clear. Parsons is a giant construction and infrastructure company that works on the really, really big stuff, including a science fiction level project for the government of Saudi Arabia called The Line. Wait until you hear about that. We welcome Bruce Irwin, the CTO for the company's mobility solutions in North America, to our offices, along with Daniel Wang, who is on Bruce's team and leads a lot of partnership initiatives. So we have a, a rather wide-ranging conversation here. Let's start with Bruce Irwin. Bruce, please identify yourself. Hello, I'm Bruce Irwin. I'm the CTO for our mobility solutions uh, infrastructure group in North America at Parsons. Okay, and Daniel Wang is... I am on Bruce's technology transformation team at Parsons, and I lead a lot of our partnership initiatives. Okay, so let's go back to Bruce. Explain exactly what it is the company does, and then we'll come back and talk about some of these partner initiatives. Yeah, so Parsons is um, an infrastructure engineering company uh, focusing global. Uh, We do about half our business for the federal government and about half our business on the commercial side, which is... um, focused in uh, the Middle East, in six regions, and in North America. So what are these partnerships? So for us, when we look at delivering solutions to our clients, um, we tend to focus on what their needs are. And usually that means, especially for our larger clients, they've got some pretty complex needs and we'll have we'll establish partnerships where we can pull in different partners with different capabilities in order to figure out what the right overall solution to meet their needs are. And so we do a lot of work in establishing those partnerships, both with smaller companies as well as larger companies in order to find those capabilities in order to meet our client needs. Okay. So give me a typical project. Typical. Oh, that's a tough question for uh, us. Well, hold on. No, I think, Alan, um, let's go typical projects that relates to smart city. Okay. And, and, and maybe because that's the initiative I think the world's going for. And I think, uh, I don't think that, um, a lot of people that are going to listen to Paz aren't going to realize how big Parsons is. Like they're like the biggest. And so um, we're not talking like a few hundred employees here. No, I, that's okay. True. And, and so I want to make that clear, but I think Daniel, it's more, uh, let's gear this that, uh, cause you guys do so many major projects, but give them an example of where you'd see Parsons play a, a major impact on a particular project or industry. 
Sure. Yeah. I'd say our bread and butter space typically is in the transportation and mobility area. So when it comes to infrastructure projects, we'll have, we'll play parts anywhere from the design build of a transportation infrastructure asset. So think roads, bridges, airports, ports, railways, so on. Um, and we'll play any role from the design build through the maintenance of an infrastructure asset as well as decommissioning afterwards. So any part of that life cycle, including, let's say, technology solutioning for that asset, but also perhaps environmental studies around it, as well as the planning around, let's say, roadways and transportation overall. Do you do work in the UAE? We do. Okay. So I'm in Dubai. And I need, uh, what, a new flyover cloverleaf interchange. Yeah, what do you do, Bruce? What do you do? So we, uh, we have a very well-established uh, engineering team in, in uh, Dubai. And yeah, we would meet with you and, and assess your needs and yeah, and look at it from a smart infrastructure perspective. So not only the designing um, of the interchange and, and what you need, but also where we would potentially put sensors, how we would connect those to, you know, monitor the health of that infrastructure. Okay, okay fine. Sensors is a big buzzword. Let's, let's go, let's stay with, <laughs> let's stay with this idea of a cloverleaf flyover or whatever. Uh, tell me about these sensors. What kind of sensors? It, you're just getting people to change lanes. Why do you need sensors? Well, um, in any part of the world, congestion and, and alleviation of congestion and on transportation networks is a big deal. Um, what we're really trying to do is look at how people enter the highway, what they do on the highway, how many times they change lanes and when they exit. So we have a whole intelligent transportation uh, division um, called ITS. And um, yeah, they basically put in cameras, they put in sensors along the right-of-way, under the bridges, on the bearings on the bridges. And we look at um, not only how people move across the highway, but also how the assets themselves are performing. Um, so, like, and I obviously understand it. I mean, I'm, I'm in the business, but the, um, I see the highways and I realize the urban transportation the, the, to get to the cities is, don't have that means I'll have cities. I understand all that, even to the airports and that. But do you do stuff in urban? Like we talk a lot about highways, but what about cities? And where do you get involved in the infrastructure of a city? So good, good question. In in the Middle East, we have you know um, designed and built you know complete neighborhoods uh, within certain. Um, areas of, of Dubai and, and other places. Uh, we manage the entire transportation infrastructure for Qatar, uh, including we were involved in project management and construction management for most of the stadiums uh, for the World Cup of Soccer no that kidding. was just held there. That must have been rather interesting. What did you do with the stadiums? So we oversaw the project management and, and the construction of them. How many? Good question. I'm not 100% sure how many there were, but... Because uh, you needed all of them, basically. <laughs> we were involved for many years in, in that project. Wow. In, including managing the transportation infrastructure associated with that. How small do you go? Because right now, you've talked so far about, these are mega things. <laughs> no kidding. So what would interest you, in, if it even does, how small does Parsons go? 
We'll go as small as, let's say, parking studies for a specific neighborhood, right? Just if you take a BIA in a city who's interested in understanding how mobility works in their space, right? Whether it's local customers, whether it's tourists. And so we'll sort of do the day-to-day parking studies just to inform that kind of understanding. But we will tend to sort of try to scale that up as well toward, let's say, transportation master planning, et cetera. Because it all in- interfaces and Correct. has an yeah. impact. And and would you say that in that area, that, and I'm guessing because I would have my own opinion, but is it the analytics that drive the future? The analytics in that city is going to tell them what to do. At some point, yes. I think the availability of data and let's say those sensors we talked about is obviously varies depending on where you're looking at across the world. Um, in some areas, we're going to have to lay that infrastructure out from scratch. In others, some of that's already in place and we can start using that for those early gains in terms of getting those analytics and insights out from the platform or the infrastructure. And then in Uh, Yet other places, we'd have to sort of retrofit existing infrastructure with new sensors to get those analytic insights. Yeah, the, like, I remember when everything was about just software. Now we're getting back to sensors and what we'll call maybe edge devices are now playing a huge role, which never, never talked about it. I did, but everyone thought I was crazy, of course. But the edge devices are real important because... The link between the cloud and perhaps, you know, a lot of the edge devices are going to produce information that goes to software and the cloud, interact in the cloud. For you guys, you have the edge devices, you're tracking vehicles. Where does, where does the flying cars come? Where, do, where does the ETOLs come in the future? Or have you even considered it? We're, we consider that when it comes to the longer term plans that we tend to deliver for our clients. So if, let's say, our mobility planning team is delivering a transportation master plan over 30 years, right? So topics like electrification, autonomous vehicles, and then all the infrastructure considerations that go around those spaces, whether it's curbside management or micro mobility uh, with different kinds of road users, those are all things that we'd consider. Um, I'm not quite sure if we're at the flying car stage yet, to be honest. But well, Dubai does have their, their taxis, don't they? They do. Um, I would think you, not you, Daniel, personally, but Parsons, because of the air, you're, you're so familiar with airports, There's these mini hubs are mini airports one day. Exactly. Um, right? Yeah. An, an airport is really like a little city. They have all the things that a, that a city has. And we're really looking at, you know, digital twins and have been for, you know, about five years now. And one of our, you know, I think our second digital twin project that we did was at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. And it was looking at a a subsection of the airport, you know, a certain terminal uh, and parking garage and how we produce a digital twin. And really what that's about is helping the people that operate the airport, that administer the airport, that plan for improvements to the airport it helps them manage that airport more intelligently. And that's really um, a big part of where the sensors come in. Okay, this is interesting because DFW is um, one of the busiest airports in the world. And it is also one of the biggest airports by land mass. I mean, it's bigger than... Guys, 
I get lost there. Yeah, it's it's huge. I'm with seven runways. No, this is bad for your transportation management, but I get lost there. It's so big. Yeah, and they're, they've added, they're, they've uh, announced plans for for further expansion or another terminal. So um, we work there for you for a while, I guess. Yeah, in, in airport navigation and the customer experience, both curb to gate and gate to curb, because those are different experiences, is something that most airport administrations are looking very, very closely at. And they're looking at digital twins to help operationalize that and okay. understand how people are Agreed. moving. Agreed. Yeah, digital twins. Explain that to me. So a digital twin really com- is comprised of five key elements. So it consists of a computer application that allows you to virtually uh, see the physical world. It consists of data analytics. It consists of sensors and essentially connections to those sensors. Um, like Grant mentioned earlier, most of the... Sensor processing is happening at the edge, and that's for data, really data optimization. Um, So it allows us to bi-directionally communicate with those sensors, essentially in real time, and run different types of scenarios in the virtual computer environment and pass those, um, you know, to the physical asset, see how it responds, and then adjust the model. So we can test how things are going to perform before we actually change the physical. I think digital everything twins is going to be even everything. Um, So the the airports doing it, that's, I think they have to, they're building such big infrastructures. Well, you got a 24 hour day operation involving millions and millions of people and lots of aircraft movements in the air above and on the tarmac. You would want to be able to, I'm assuming that with the technology that you're talking about, you would be able to game various scenarios and to test emergency uh, readiness and all that sort of stuff? So um, the early stuff is in building. It's it's a little more boring. We are looking at some of the air side. Um, So ramp worker safety, uh, heat stress monitoring. We're looking at baggage handling, HVAC, all of the things that help you know, an airport run kind of behind the scenes, but yeah, starting to look more at the, um, the air side and aircraft movement. It's rare uh, that we see major airport developments anywhere in the world right now. And we're talking about, you know, capital city airport in Beijing. Um, they're building terminal five in Singapore, which won't open until 2033 or 2035. Uh, we talked about Dallas expanding. Are there any other airports that you're involved in? Yeah, so we we just finished um, a pilot digital twin project with Denver. Yes, and yes. Denver is a Denver is a big it, one. Yeah, it's a big well, United it, Hub. It's interesting because what they did is they built a completely new airport that is quite a ways from the city, and we actually went by the campus um, where the old airport was. So it was an interesting approach because they were able to really design things. But ha- having said all that, uh, they are having people movement issues because the Pre-approved people are at the north end. The everybody else that's going through security is at the south end, and there's these two bottlenecks before you get to all of the internal mobility, all of the the trams that take you to the different terminals. So, yeah, they're looking at digital twins really to try to optimize and, and improve. I that, think it's that the future. Experience. I think you've mm. got to do them. I think they'll be for everything um, one day. But I want to go back to something with Daniel. Because I said, what about flying cars and e-tolls? And I, and I get the answer. And I'm not asking you any on flying cars. What, I'm, what you said to me is interesting. 30-year plan. Yeah. It caught me right away. Are you telling me 
that you sit down with a with a thirty year plan for uh, for it doesn't I don't care what a city airport it's got to be a bigger project right and you do a thirty year plan as a group what do you plan out how <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question and. I will say that I am not part of that team that okay, develops okay. those plans. So I don't have the details of how we do that. But I know what we'll typically do is we'll look at population growth trends, right? Um, we'll look at the state of the existing infrastructure in place. We'll look at technology trends and what might be in place. And we'll sort of establish a projection basically on what the demands on a transportation system are going to be over that period of time. And there's a general understanding that, yeah, as you go along, you're going to get more data, especially in this day and age, and that's going to help you revise what that plan looks like over time. And then there's definitely a difference between the 30-year master plan, which is typically more goal-oriented and outcome-oriented, as opposed to something that's a little more operational or actionable. That's going to be a shorter-term plan. So those are two separate kinds of plans. Um, with the master plan, we'll definitely look at things like, hey, we want this city to be livable. We want to enable mobility, no matter what that looks like in the future, right? And so those plans will be architected in different ways. Just trying to imagine the imagination that would be required. Well, how about AI? Okay. Why don't I just say, okay, chatbot, give me my 30-year plan. I know I'm joking here, but but I'm sure the conversations are in the company right now, the effect of chatbot AI, um, even to their generative AI, and of course, they're getting into design you got to have those conversations now. Absolutely. Um, AI is obviously a hot topic everywhere right now. I don't think uh, we'd say we'd be exclusive in considering how we can apply AI in different applications. Uh, in terms of how they affect what we look at from planning and design perspectives, uh, we sort of see the potential of integrating it in different aspects throughout everything we do, right? Um, in terms of collecting data, aggregating it, generating those quick insights to inform how we develop those plans. For sure, those are some easy places to start. We're seeing those capabilities right now with GPT type technology and other kinds of generative AI. In the longer term, um, what we probably expect to see, and this is where we're still doing some research, is more specialized tools, right? So there might be an AI that might focus on transportation, transportation planning and design. There might be an AI that actually focuses on optimizing mobility in neighborhoods, right? That might focus on, let's say, cyclists, or that might focus on autonomous vehicles, perhaps, right? But those applications are probably still sometime in the future, as opposed to what we have right now, which is more research and obviously natural language-based. But I, but I think that it come quicker than you think, because... What I've seen, and I'm an old guy, not as old as Alan, but I'm old. <laughs> um, so he's, you know, you can get that. But, but my point being is um, when I started out, you do a, a program and it, that program would have a life before anyone even made anything like it of five, 10 years. Then when the come out stuff it would take, you got to catch up in a couple of years. Now it's tomorrow. Like now it's like, when do you decide when something's real and not real and you should do it? Like, I mean, I could send you an email today saying, hey, I can develop for you a transportation plan and I'm Grant and I've got this software. And quite frankly, everyone's doing that. So do you have your own people internally work on the development? In some cases, we would. 
Yeah, um, it, I think it, you would. That comes back down to what we mentioned earlier in terms of how we partner when it comes to identifying needs. Um, we'll look at what our clients need. We'll look at what capabilities we've got and what our partners have. And sometimes there's going to be a gap in the market, right? And if there's a gap in the market, then that's when we'll take a hard look at developing those capabilities ourselves. And if our, one of our partners has the capabilities to meet that need, then we wouldn't do that. Um, It'll just depend on yeah, what. Yeah, we wouldn't do it ourselves. Yeah. I, I, I'm just so curious. How many times do you go in and just say, I'm going to buy that company? Um, we, we have, um, you know, a mergers and acquisitions team at Parsons. We have a right. chief Full growth, time. Growth, <laughs> growth, growth officer. And, uh, you know, since I've been with Parsons over the last five years, we've made six major acquisitions. More than one a year. Um, and, and we've got a couple others in the queue. Um, but, you know, looking at infrastructure planning, um, we actually look out for some infrastructure over 100 years, certainly with the investment. Well, yeah, for highways and, and financial, overpasses, absolutely. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So uh, one, of the, one of the important things is when we're putting sensors on the, the existing infrastructure to understand health and how it's performing, is we're looking at um, kind of big picture. What's the condition of that asset? What's the life expectancy? What's the risk? If something happens to it, and what's the probability of that happening? So we're doing we're doing risk sort of value comparisons, but cross a whole portfolio of assets in an airport or for a municipality. We never had a company Alan, that is this big. We've had some big ones, like you know some others that are smaller competitors, but nothing like this. So you're talking about a company that builds cities. We never had that. How many people on staff? About seventeen thousand. Yeah, I don't want to do your payroll. If they could each donate $20 to me, <laughs> I'll come up with a plan. Um, and although that's minuscule between your biggest project. I, oh, sorry. It may not be your biggest project, but I mean, I, I can't, I can't not talk about the line. Yes. So maybe um, Bruce can tell me in, a bit about the line and, and maybe Dan, you can tell us about some of the things that are really innovative there. Yeah, so the line uh, is really quite an innovative city. It's in northern Saudi Arabia, and we're building it in conjunction with Oxagon, which is half in the Red Sea, half on land. That's the um, digital industrial city. Um, So it's a very um, unique and, I think, innovative design. So it's being built linearly uh, with a series of chassis, and we're, we're driving piles for those chassis now. And Parsons is essentially overseeing um, that project. There'll be okay, a wait, whole stop, stop, stop. We we need to describe exactly yeah, what the line is. I for don't people. think people like I get it, but I got to tell you, if I talk to ten people, one knows the line. This this is sci-fi so, stuff. Yep. So go ahead. it's basically a linear skyscraper. How long is it? So eventually, it's going to be. <laughs> Quite long, but the idea is that you will have everything you need to live, work. You don't live and that. Play you don't. Li- you don't leave that line inside of the line. Well, unless you want to go to Kadia, which is the sports and entertainment park, okay, uh, so <laughs> where they'll have a Formula One track, golf oh, courses, five star hotel. I think I, we got to move there, Alan. No, 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 no. We got to move stop, there. Stop, stop, stop. Again, how long is it? It's kilometers and kilometers long. A building. About twenty stories high, let's say, and it goes it forever. Goes forever. It's this is sci-fi stuff. Now remember, we should say, guys, there's no cars. 
No, no, no. You walk and scooter, I guess, and do there's all. A, there's a central train, I think, right? It's 170 kilometers long. <laughs> See, see okay. this is what I'm talking and, about. And, and so why didn't you have moving moving platform all the way? 170 kilometers of moves. You don't even walk. This is one building that's <laughs> 170 kilometers long. This reminds me a lot of old those old sci-fi stories where you, you see a foundation, ring world. Um, this is the same thing. Where, where you Guys, this it's the same thing. Giant, continuous it is the construction that that okay, so, is completely self-contained. So, so you, And I, I know we're going to talk a bit about the smart applications because they are going to lead the world, and we're going to learn a lot from them. Um, how many employees? How many people will be working online will you employ? We're looking at staffing on. So with such a large project, Parsons is not the only company working I, on I this. I get it. Parsons has about 1,000 employees. Uh, working on the line, and overall, there will be about a hundred thousand workers. Yeah, yeah. Um, this year into next year. Now, with that, brings a whole different problem: managing people. No one has ever managed that many people in a construction in a single structure. Yeah. So you have a whole line of managing people, and how you track them? How you, that's smart in itself. It has to be, or it's not going to work. Um, yeah, so we acquired a company called Exeter um, a year or so ago, and they specialize in biometrics. And so many of those solutions to keep the people that should be in which areas of the project and to keep to keep them safe and security, okay, that I'm, sort of thing. Okay. He can't I, get off this. I, I can't get off this, really. I can't. The budget for the construction of this thing must be close to a trillion dollars. It is uh, the estimated building cost is somewhere in the 100 to 200 billion US range. Okay. But that's just the construction costs. Right. Um, that doesn't really talk about life cycle afterward or even other costs associated with that. But it won't be that. Come on, guys. It's, it's, listen, we're, it's Saudi Arabia. It's, they don't care. No, that's what I mean. This is why it's going to hit a trillion dollars. You're probably and, right. And well, I mean, so they're not, they're not, all the buildings aren't like 14 karat gold finished. Some are. I'm and, not kidding you. No, guys. I know. So again, we have a, a contiguous structure that's 170 kilometers long, in a very inhospitable part of the world. I mean, it's in the it's in the Saudi Arabian desert, so that must offer all kinds of challenges. Not only that, nobody lives in the Saudi Arabian desert. How is anybody going to be convinced to relocate here? I mean. Okay, that's I'm, a good question. I'm just throwing stuff up. There's going to be access to the Red Sea. They're going to have a marina that comes right in uh, alongside uh, the line. I think the statistic I heard is you're within six hours of most major hubs in, in Europe. So There's you may, an airport nearby, isn't there? There, There is now, yes. Yeah, a new, new airport. You know more than I expected I know, that I'm area. Pretty good at this sort of you stuff. You know anything about the technology, but you I know am, a lot about the area. Yeah, the geography, yes. Wow. Um, <laughs> then there's this question. Um, how long is this going to take to build? So it's 170 kilometers long, roughly. And so it, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> but uh, in speaking with Howard this week, he's one of our key digital um uh, delivery leads over there. They're looking to flood the marina by 2025, 2026. And it sounds like by 2030, there'll be about a million people living there. That's kind of what they're targeting 
Um, so obviously they're building this linear city in a series of modules and I have the specifications for the modules, but essentially that's, that's what they're, they're looking at. Eventually they're targeting about a total of 9 million people. They're projecting that well into the future. So, you know, every time an article on this comes up, I, I, I read it and I go, no, this, this can't be. Yeah. I follow the, I follow the, the line. I follow for updates. I ask for updates. And uh, when you ask that question about, well, it, I'm not sure it'll ever be done. Like no, no, it's not disrespect for anyone. No, 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 no. Because, because it, things change every day, every week, every month. And we want this. Oh, what about this? This could be an ongoing Wait a minute, like Toronto never changed in well, no, one this, year. This is a city that's always going to be under construction and always going to be under modification. Well, what if they want to extend it? Now they're, okay, okay, I got the 30-year plan here. So what did you plan for future development, if any? Well, right now, a lot of the focus is getting it off the ground, to be okay, honest. Okay, um, okay, But I'd imagine, quite frankly, that it would take some creativity on the part of looking at even future expansions, since the concept of the line itself is so unique and it hasn't been done before, that we don't have existing transportation models for what mobility. No, you're going to create the benchmark. Like, right? These yeah. are the benchmarks. Yeah, and so we don't know what the next step after that is, since we haven't even taken that first step with the line. Right, the the city hasn't been done. It hasn't been built yet. Right, it's not done. Um, and so. Let me ask them, can you buy stuff in there now? Can I buy an apartment there? I don't think so. Okay. Not yet. Just curious. I mean, no, not that I would. I'm just saying, come on. Is the sales office open? Yeah. Because uh, I'd like to know about that. It might it, be a good excuse to go there. I think this is being funded by the Sovereign Wealth Fund, right? I believe so. Um, this is definitely uh, funded directly by government. the government. Uh, yeah, it has yeah. to be. The, um, but what, so let, let's go, let's, let's touch a bit on some of the cool technologies that will be introduced uh, on the line. Anything you, you can think of that would be, you, like I, I could say a lot of stuff, but I'm going to leave it up to you guys. I'll be honest, right now we're looking at the cool technologies that are going into building the line. Well, <laughs> okay. start with Good that, enough. right? Good enough. Good enough. Because, I mean, just getting, the logistics of getting materials to the site must be insane. There's logistics tracking, and as Bruce mentioned, tracking just staff on site, um, worker health and safety in terms of understanding another where they big are. One. Another yeah. big one. Um, and um, making sure, you know, take something like a typical construction site we'd see for a building, right? Scale that up by several orders of magnitude, and you're going to say, all right, how do you hand out hard hats to everyone, right? And then okay. what, what happens if you lose them? So we're, we're looking at things like okay, tracking you. tools, gotcha. tracking equipment tracking vehicles throughout the construction site porta potties accommodations all all of that sort of logistics of having that many people working on something like this just see my head hurts it really does i i so so parsons is doing the line and um obviously are there similar projects like that that you're working on i don't mean the exact size but are there similar cities that that are, you can talk about that are in the same type of uh, format of what they're doing. I don't mean a straight line, but a smart community, smart. Yeah, the, the mega giga projects that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oxagon, I'd say. I know Oxygon. What's that? It is a 
counterpart to the line in a way, but it's their industrial city. So where the line is more focused on being a livable city, the Oxagon is sort of, I guess, think your industrial neighborhood, but a standalone city also uh, with a port attached to it. But it would have to have living. Yes, of course. It for, just for be industrial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I got no words. Well, the, um, l- let's go with, um, so, so we talk about the big mega project. We talk about the technology side. Um, when you guys sit down as a group, do you have a group that says, okay, now I know this is a very broad question. You can, and what you can do is you, you can change that question. You can change the, the, the question if you want. But so when you sit down and say, okay, guys, um, what's our plan for the future of smart city? I ask everyone that just, you know, you say, well, Grant, I mean, you can't do that. But I, I think you can. I, I think you have to. Um, and if you, like right now, we've talked a lot about transportation. We've talked about, uh, and we can talk about technologies from intelligent concrete, which we're talking about and all these type of things. But, you know, where does Parsons, it has a vision. Where does Parsons see your future in the Yeah, where's Parsons going? Yeah, I want to know. I got two ambassadors here for the company. I'll give it to Bruce. Well, um, yeah, we we have um, you know a very progressive, I think, strategic plan for where the company is going. Um, I attended our executive summit in Washington back in May, and uh, yeah, there's um, our CEO has a very uh, focused game plan. We work in six primary areas. Uh, okay. So business units okay. um, that drives our business and all those have, you know, some very aggressive growth targets, but I think that are uh, completely doable. So our, our, about half of our revenue is from the federal government and many of these primarily in the United States and many of these contracts are, you know, over 10 plus years. You're a U.S. company? We're a U.S. company that operates global, yep. including we have a, a company in Canada. Does, uh, are you public? So we took um, a portion of the company public uh, about four years ago. So, but the majority of Parsons is owned by the employees. Have you got any? Oh, no. Can I go backwards on that? Explain that. Owned by the employees. So we have an employee stock. We're talking stock a couple owners. We're talking a couple owners of Parsons right now. Mm. Yeah. So we took, a, we took a percentage of the company public. Fantastic. I think that um, where I see um, Smart City, I don't know another com- company that I know. I mean, there's lots of, I get there's companies, even Google, I get all that. But I truly believe that uh, we're fortunate to hear a couple of people that are involved in a company that is probably going to have one of the biggest impacts in the world, in the infrastructure world. And um, so from my side, Alan, it was just great having uh, Daniel and uh, Bruce on. And I think we could do another one down the road just with updates or just following with a, with a particular subject because it's so broad what they do. And it's so incredible if you're even just a, a techie guy to understand where they're going. Like I'm trying to think of what the control room at the line looks like, you know, the back end where every, I mean, there's going to be multiple control rooms where everybody's watching everything and they're all the data is coming. Yeah. Oh, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. But I, I can't imagine the technical infrastructure, the but you back know, end but technical you know, infrastructure. Alan, when we close this, I think that's a good way to close it, is um, 
by the time they do it, everything that's today is available will be not what they're going to use. Like, they'll have obviously very, very open technology. And when they decide to turn something on in seven, eight years, it won't be what we're seeing today. AI um, and um, will have changed dramatically. Quantum computing will be the main source of what they're going to do to to develop stuff. So I think we don't know. Uh, okay, One, I'm going to throw this in. Power. Where's you know? Are we just solar? That would be obvious. Modular nuclear reactors. You know, where is the power going to come from? For the uh, well, I guess natural gas would be another opportunity, but that's not as clean as it could Don't be. Don't they have oil somewhere? <laughs> that's, that's not green <laughs> stuff. I mean, this, wrong. If, if you're going to make this, you know, a long-term thing, it's, it's got to be hundred percent green, right? I think if you look at the future of smart cities, I mean, people like to talk about the line because it's a big, you know, mega project, but you know, where we're seeing some real innovation is what we talked about earlier is in the airport sector. Yes. Sure. You know, and, and really, like we said, airports are really like little cities. But they're much more manageable because they're contained, but they have all the things that a city has. They have roads, they have lights, they have sewers, they have parking, parking garages, they have buildings. Transportation around, all around All of that stuff. Okay, so, okay, we'll go into that because I want to go into this a bit because if we have a bit of time. What I noticed now is major airports like, like Pearson are trying to develop hubs. Trying to say, okay, can we land planes in Barrie? I'm not saying Barrie. Should London be a hub? Should Hamilton be a hub? I'm not saying they should or shouldn't, and I'm making this up. But the point is, I know that that is in their plans to start diverting hubs to other, and then getting people back and forth quicker so that the hubs make real, and I agree with it, by the way, because um, what it does, it, it steers a lot of the infrastructure, transportation, and congestion away from one area, providing you can make it convenient. You gotta be having those talks. Yeah, that's that model is really similar to I, I think the buzz phrase in Toronto is you know transit oriented communities, right? Yes, where correct. you have when you look at mobility, you're focusing really on what do people need to do and where do they need to go on a day to day basis. So, if you can main if you can make sure that people who live somewhere can get to school, get to work, or get groceries within a certain period of time. Please that, don't say fifteen minute city. I'm avoiding a specific time frame, <laughs> um, then that really creates a lot of value for people living there on a day-to-day basis. And I think for airports, they're looking at it similarly, right? Since like right now in Toronto, you'd have, a lot of people have to travel across the GTA to get to a Pearson, right? And your closest secondary airport is Hamilton, right? Um, you don't really operate out of Barrie that much, right? And now. there's not a lot of really flights out of those out of places. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. And the, Older hub and spoke model is really representative of how airlines run efficiently, right? In terms of how their aircraft work, in terms of managing efficiency and costs related to that. And with newer technologies on the airplanes themselves, then that'll enable new business models for them to explore too. Ah, and so I get that you. entire hub concept, right? With Pearson exploring at pulling in, let's say, a TTC transit hub as part of the airport. I think that's all part of that conversation of, okay, now that we've got some new technologies, now that we've got some new planning concepts around mobility, what can we do to establish the future of transportation? Yeah, I think once I think once we see more autonomous take off, a lot of that congestion in and around the airport is going to go away. Because when you change terminals in an airport today, nobody drives that train. Um, 
And so it's getting people that last mile so that they can get to the autonomous transportation method to get them to the airport. Once it's primarily autonomous coming in and out of the airport, that's going to be a lot Okay, now that's a good subject. Okay, hey, hey, that's a subject. Let's talk about that next time. That's a great subject. I'm I'm autonomous. Uh. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you, uh, Bruce and Daniel. This has been really interesting. I've been watching, like I said, the line come together over the last two years, I guess. And uh, I'm going to have you back to talk about how that's all going. 170 kilometers long. Pretty cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. And that's it for episode number 58. Thanks again to Bruce Irwin and Daniel Wang for giving us a glimpse of the near and far future when it comes to super smart cities. If you have any comments or questions, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog and make sure you check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furling. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross and we'll see you next time.